Hey you guys, tickets have officially gone on sale for my next virtual conference. In May, we did Rise Live Courage, and now we're doing Rise Live Healthy and Happy. We're spending an entire day, nine plus hours of programming with some of the greatest speakers in the world, all talking about how to live your life in such a way that you have the energy to have the life of your dreams. What does it look like to learn to eat intuitively? What does it look like to move your body in celebration? What does it look like to approach health from a place of love and celebration instead of shame? We believe that healthy and happy is about how you feel, not about how you look. So I am joined by incredible people like Jay Shetty and Stacy Flowers, Kelly Levesque, Dave Hollis, Trent Shelton, motivating the crap out of you. Me, talking about inspiration. And if you've ever been to a Rise conference before, you better believe you're also going to hear from Beans and Chris. It's going to be a day of fun and energy and so empowering. If you feel like you have fallen off your plan inside of quarantine, if you feel like you need a kick in the pants to get you motivated again, this is the day for you, and tickets start at $40. You can go to thehollisco.com right there at the top of the page. You'll see a big banner. Click on it. Let's hang out. Let's get fired up together. If you've exhausted all of your resources within an organization and are a top performer and yet all you're getting are you know the one to three percent increases every year because you're in the same job title then you need to evaluate if that's where you really want to stay hi guys i'm rachel hollis and on today's episode of dais i am interviewing a longtime mentor of mine vice president of consumer products global strategist for mattel diane reichenberger Today, we're discussing everything from powerful ways to move up in your career, management styles, and the power of hip-hop. Here's our conversation. Tell us a little bit about your work history, where you come from, and and what you've built over your career. You know, I started out in the 70s, late 70s, really focused on getting a job in a man's world, looking at the landscape, wanting to be someone who climbed the corporate ladder, envisioned myself running a company, whatever that really meant. I didn't necessarily know, but I wanted to be in a leadership role. Mm -hmm. I went to university, and when I graduated, I went to work at Hewlett-Packard as an analyst. Um, And I went to Hewlett-Packard because there was a book written about the organization called In Search of Excellence by Tom Peters. It was a really inspirational book at the time uh, for me, and it really talked about a much more diverse workplace at Hewlett-Packard in technology, obviously, in the 70s, and um, how they looked at their workforce in terms of men and women and diversity across ethnic backgrounds. And so it just seemed like a good match for me. And I worked very hard after university to get into Hewlett Packard and I did get a job and it it was not easy, but I did. It was very competitive. That's great. And once I got into the corporate environment, then I realized really what it entailed. And it entails a lot of politics. It does not, the real world does not mean that When you do a great job and perform and deliver results that you automatically get promoted, even when you're working really hard to do that. Right. And so it made me really take a step back and 
figure out what I'm passionate about. And I was really passionate about fashion and the apparel industry um, was never an area that I really focused on. And from there, then I started looking at companies that I believed had the right values that matched my own and that also were in the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. And Esprit Decor at the time in San Francisco was the company that I wore their clothes to play in and I loved what they were doing in our community in San Francisco. And so I spent about a year and a half trying to get an opportunity there, which I finally did. And um, that really launched me into my career in the apparel industry. And I've worked for companies like Levi Strauss, The Gap, The North Face, Joe Boxer, The Limited. (laughs) And so through the years, as I then moved through different companies, I looked to gain more responsibility, more leadership opportunities. And I will say as a woman in the industry or in any industry, definitely getting promoted within a company is a lot more difficult than going to a new organization. Certainly gave me the opportunity to get promoted and make more money. It wasn't that I didn't necessarily want to stay in certain companies because I love the experience, but when they didn't present opportunities, I had to look outside the organization. That is such an mm-hmm. incredible piece of wisdom. I think it's not something I would tend to think of because... I'm in a company where it's my company, so I don't have to worry about that. But for listeners who are feeling like they can't get ahead, do you feel like that's still relevant in 2017? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. And, you know, I talk to a lot of, I mentor a lot of women, and I really enjoy that experience. And everyone has their own unique goals and also their own personal circumstances. So I think those are the two things that, you know, you have to kind of lay out and weigh what is most important to you at any point in your career and what you're looking to do. Mm-hmm. For me, at the time, in the 80s and 90s, it certainly wasn't what people did. They did move. In my time, and in the 80s and 90s certainly, and prior to that, employers looked for loyalty. And what they called loyalty were people that stayed there for 30 years, like my mm-hmm. father did in his job, and then retired with a pension you know, and the retirement party, and he had spent his entire career in one company. The days of that, in my opinion, especially for women, are gone. There's certainly people who have, you know, are in companies and they've been there for a very long time. And if they're happy and it really meets the balance of their goals, both personal and professional, that's great. But what I've found is that if you've exhausted all of your resources within an organization and are a top performer, and yet all you're getting are, you know, the one to 3% increases every year because you're in the same job title, then you need to evaluate if that's where you really want to stay. When you move to a new company, you know, you are valued for what you're bringing to the organization. They value the knowledge that you have in the industry. And you really have those first six to nine months where they're really listening to you. And it's a great opportunity to make an impact and then start delivering results and being challenged in a way that you would hope to be in your previous job. So if I'm a woman and I'm listening to this piece of advice and I'm thinking, gosh, that sounds like me, maybe the answer is that I need to make a move to a different company. What are some things that I could be doing now to um, better hone my skill set to make myself more attractive to a hiring manager? Well, a couple of things. I think you know, taking a step back, developing your network is key to Mm. any of this. So every job that I have has been really achieved through my network. It's either hearing about a job, um, 
in some way and then going to someone within the organization or finding someone who knows someone within the organization and having a leg up or it's, you know, actually talking to people and letting them know that you're looking so that they're keeping an eye out for you. Mm -hmm. And when they hear of something, they think of you and you're top of mind. Um, so network is something that I have focused on even when I was in college in creating a network in the business community. I worked outside of, um, college and a actual and a, a professional environment. And so I started building a network outside of my sort of college experience. It's just amazing how it just grows tenfold. And, and so when you have people that you can reach out to and ask advice of, especially when you're seeking new job opportunities, it helps you evaluate like, hey, I'm looking at a position that I saw online at, at a particular company and you know someone within that mm-hmm. company you talk to them, what's the real deal in that company? So you really want to make sure if you're going to make a move that it's something that is really going to meet your expectations. That is, I think, your network is a a key piece to getting good advice before you do that. To the question of how, what kind of skills can you hone, it depends on what you're going for. If you're really thinking about a industry shift, you really have to start to frame up what you're doing currently that would be relevant in that new industry. Yeah, definitely. Really understanding like, oh, I'm in product development and I want to go into marketing. One of my recommendations is to start looking at jobs online that are really the type of job that you want and start reading what what they're looking for. So when you read those job descriptions, you're like, oh, you know, you may think like, oh, I couldn't do marketing because I'm doing product development. But then you read a job description for a marketing role and you're like 50% of what's in that job description is what you're already doing and what you love to do. So that's where I say you get some, you really also in that reading that job description of your dream job, and maybe it's at your dream company or one that you're looking at. It also helps you reframe your resume and your cover letter and how you're actually approaching applying for that job. Yeah. One of the things that you said that I really love too, and I think is so important for women in particular to hear, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but you, it sounds like you sort of let your, your dream company guide the way in, in the direction you were heading, at least in the beginning. So yeah. whereas I think a lot of women will go to school, let's say that they major in marketing or communications, and then they'll just sort of look and see what jobs are available in that category, which feels like you're kind of letting life pull you in a certain direction instead of being the one who has the reins. I love that you, you know, started with HP and said, hey, this company's great. I read this book. I'm going to start here. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't think that that's something that you hear a lot of women doing. And in particular, you know, when you're talking about when you, when you made that decision, I feel like that was really um, ahead of the game. So super inspiring oh, well, for people who are listening. Well, I think even now when I say to people, when they're like, I'm not happy in my job and I wanted something new, I'm like, what are your, what's your dream company? Yeah. Like start there because I think aligning with values of a company and what you're seeing them do in terms of community service um, or how you see them expanding globally or whatever that, you know, like, oh, I really like these products for company A. And and I was like, well, what about looking for a job there? Well, I'm not in that industry. It's like, Mm -hmm. but they have finance jobs. They have legal jobs. They have marketing jobs. If you align on something you're passionate about, and a company that you're passionate about and excited to go work for, then it makes your job even more gratifying because you're 
inspired by their mission, what their yes. values are, and they're aligned with who you are. So you feel really good about going to a party with your friends and telling people where you were because you're yeah. like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And I love it because, you know, when you talk about the company, especially if you're in an external uh, facing role within that, your dream company, when you're talking about it to people, it's just inspiring. It's contagious. You know, it's easy to sell and it's easy to talk about. We have chatted before and I ask you and I'm asking everyone that comes on to the podcast if there are certain areas that they feel like they are an expert in. And one of the, I mean, you are an expert in many areas, but one of the um, items that you listed that I was so intrigued by was negotiation. Y'all, working remotely with your team is the new normal. I know it's the new normal over here, and I have no idea when it might change. And this new way of working requires teams to be more collaborative wherever they are. Monday.com offers a flexible platform to manage any team, project, or workflow online. Bring your team together so you can continue to collaborate, plan, and track your work. Monday.com is a project management platform that makes effective teamwork possible near or far. You can keep all your team's work in one place and coordinate across different teams and departments. This way of project managing increases productivity and efficiency and facilitates transparency between everyone on your team. Let Monday.com take care of what slows you down so you can free up time to focus on the work that drives you. To start your free 14-day trial, go to monday.com. And I find that so incredible because I don't know that I've ever heard a woman say that she is an expert in that. Um, and I would love if you could share some of your wisdom, um, what you have learned over the course of your career when it comes to negotiation, and maybe just sort of talking through to start the different types of negotiating uh, women should be doing right now within their careers. Sure. Thank you. Um, I love the, it's the art of negotiation. And I think it's, I've grown to love it because I've gotten so much better at it. And it, a lot of it comes from experience. But I think one of the first places we all experience the opportunity to negotiate is when you're, especially in a career, is when you are going to negotiate for your salary. Mm -hmm. and your compensation package. And very often, and the statistics prove that women who are offered a job and then offered a salary, they are like, thank you. Yeah. They don't ask for anything more. They don't negotiate from that, that point, which is really unfortunate because as, an, as someone who hires people, you have a range by which you have to work with. You know, you're going to start lower, mm -hmm. knowing or, or assuming that your candidate is going to come back and negotiate with you. Right off the bat, your women in particular have already put themselves at a disadvantage by just being grateful that they got the job offer and they were offered a salary. So I think that is one place where today anybody who is in a position like that should start to rethink how they're discussing their salary. So if I'm negotiating for a new position and I need and I want to come with clear, non-emotional responses to what I'm being offered, I need to know it, you know, and there's so much data online, but you really need to understand what is the range that with my level of experience and education that I should be making 
for a job like this. And you can search and look at all sorts of opportunities that to find what that range may be. You can also ask friends in the industry or acquaintances or a network or a mentor how you can get this information. Now you're coming with facts. So if someone offers you a certain amount for a position, you know that that's the real low end, that the average for that job is maybe 20% higher. Yeah. And that's the way you start the negotiation. Like, I appreciate it. I'm so excited. You're gracious about the job opportunity. However, from all the research that I've done in this industry for this type of position with the level of experience I have, the average is this. But I want to be compensated fairly for the, the experience and expertise that I'm bringing to this organization and the industry standard by which I should be paid for doing this job. The women that I've been coaching in the past few years have had great success. Hmm. And they've come back and said, oh, my gosh, I got more money. I can't believe it. I didn't realize I could get this. And the beauty is that they're then reporting back that they've shared this advice with other friends, other women that they know who are also in this position. So the more we talk about it and support each other... It's also extremely helpful to make sure that we're sharing successes and role playing with one another. So I often offer that and and will do it myself. So you feel really confident with your facts, how you're going to approach it, what you will and won't accept, and that you're willing to walk away if they're not going to meet what you need them to meet in order for you to live your life, be compensated fairly, etc. Hey guys, we'll be back in a hot minute with more of this interview, but now a quick word from a sponsor. Want to listen to an audiobook that'll make you feel better about your crappy job? Party Girl takes listeners on an adventure among Hollywood's most beautiful and most outrageous people, revealing the ugly side of Hollywood's prettiest parties. The entire Girl series is now available on Audible, and it's read and written by me. Discover the world of Audible Originals today at audible.com. I would love to if you could speak to the opposite side of that table, which is negotiating as a hiring manager. So I have people all the time we're hiring either full-time or for freelance. How do you have that conversation in a caring, responsible way as the hiring manager? But there are some times in my career where I have felt emotional about that process, where it seems like, golly, we're offering what I think of as something that's so great and it's not good enough, which seems ridiculous, I understand. Uh, but, but speaking to people like me who are the one on the opposite side of the table. Well, I always start with this for anybody. The best way to negotiate and approach something is respectfully, Mm -hmm. right? So even as someone who's going in and asking for more money um, or interviewing and being offered a job and needing to negotiate for more or different compensation package, doing it with that place of respect for yourself and for the person you're talking to. So And the flip side, if I'm sitting here and offering someone what I think is an amazing package that we've worked hard to to get a certain to a certain level of financial compensation and benefits, and we're laying it on the table so proud of it and excited to have this person join us and to be, you know, have someone really throw back like, wow, that's not what I was expecting or or something that's somewhat disheartening for how hard you've worked. I think that the thing, at least the way I approach it is like, wow, I I wasn't expecting that. 
I appreciate that you are asking for more. I will tell you, this is how we got to this this compensation package. Mm-hmm. This is how we got to this number. Um, this is the benefit that we're offering on you know the other perks of this role. You know, and I also would say if you're at the top end and what you've offered and you have no more wiggle room, you haven't left yourself wiggle room to offer a little bit more, then you can absolutely say that and say, I came in with my very best offer and I appreciate if this isn't going to work for you. I'm really sorry. We really wanted to have you here. But if it's not going to work for you, we'll have to accept that because we have no more room. And that's just the truth. If that is truly the truth. And consequently, some people say, you know what, I love this company so much, I want to come here. This is true, just, you know, we're using salary as an example, but it's negotiating contracts, it's negotiating any kind of merger, any kind of compromise, collaboration, anytime you're negotiating, you know, you both are going to come with your list of things that you both want from both sides. And hopefully, you know, there's some easy wins in that list from both sides that you can easily agree to. And then they'll get into the nitty gritty. Yeah. And you know, as you get deeper into the, the things that are the pain points, there's the area where, you know, that's where you really want to take your level up a notch on respect and also on facts. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. That was something you mentioned to me too when we originally spoke. Um, the the third type of negotiation. So negotiating with a company besides your own. So maybe it is a mm-hmm. contract or mm-hmm. a lease or a mm-hmm. job that you're um, costing out for them or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. You had mentioned the power of facts, which I really yes. loved. Will you Will you speak to that? The most success we've all had in sharing, you know, big wins have been when we've come to the table fully prepared with all the the important facts, particularly around financial um, implications to a contract or negotiation. And when you are coming to the table fully loaded, you feel confident, you've done your homework. And when you are sitting in a negotiation with whatever kind of character you're up against, having your facts make you feel more confident too. Because if they're throwing out a number like, oh, well, that's going to cost you $10,000. And you say, actually, these three examples, this only costs $2,000. And this is the amount of time it will take. Or in particular, as you're talking about, if you're making a proposal for a particular job and you're one of many um, firms or agencies that someone is talking to and they're saying, well, this is all we're willing to pay, um, you know, for your monthly retainer, what have you. And then I say, well, that really only equates to about 10 hours a month that mm. we would be able to do work for you. And you've asked for a scope of work that we've already specced out to be 40 hours in a month. Mm-hmm. And so it's a huge discrepancy. And that's where you can then say how, you know, with what you're asking us to do every month, how would you, how in your experience have you seen any agency or anyone successfully do that in 10 hours? Yeah. You know, sorry. I had, I had just listened to a podcast the other day with a hostage negotiator actually. And he mm -hmm. said the same thing. One of the most powerful questions you can ask in negotiation is how am I supposed to do that? Yeah. You tell me how that is supposed to work with your knowledge of this industry because it puts it back on them and they have no ground to stand on. Right. And that's where then the nuances come, right? That's where your experience and your expertise and also your empathy kind of kicks in because you 
depending on the character that you're talking to, they may take great offense at being caught, especially if they're with other coworkers, mm. being caught in somewhat of a lie. Mm-hmm. So then you'll evaluate that person sitting across the table from you in the negotiation. But potentially, they are someone, if you say, we know that takes 40 hours, you then say, the scope of work that you've asked for and are suggesting we could do in 10 hours, we've actually done that same work and at the minimum it's taken us 40 hours and here's the three clients that uh, work that we've done that you've seen and liked which is why we're sitting in front of you yeah we don't work slow we've got you know people on our team that are the best in the business this is what we can do and if you're looking for someone who can do that and they say they can do that then you should go for it Back in the day when I was a wedding and event planner, one of the most powerful things I could say to potential clients was they'd say, well, you know, there's another wedding planner that we're talking to and she charges half as much. And I would say, you know, respectfully, I am worth what I charge. And if you find someone who does it for less, you should absolutely go with them. But the sort of call to arms there is that you're challenging the quality of the work of someone who will do it for less than industry standard uh, without actually calling out that competitor. So that was really uh, powerful for me. Booked a lot of clients that way. Again, back to the respect. I respect if you only have this much to spend and this is what you're hoping to get out of spending that much. We're not the agency for you. I'm not the wedding planner for you. Yes, so good. I am not the employee for you Yeah, because I am not going to be able to do all you're asking of me on that salary. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So switching gears a little bit, Mm -hmm. uh, the name of this podcast is Deus because I love the idea that we as women in business have platforms, have powerful platforms that we stand on. And one of the questions that I want to ask everybody is, you know, back in the day, they used to call it your soapbox, that mm-hmm. if you could stand on a soapbox and holler about one thing, if you could stand on this platform and speak to women in business, the one thing that you see right now emerging, this trend that's happening, that you feel like women are just missing it. And, you know, if you could, you kind of shake them by the shoulders and help them to understand a better way to be. What is what is the one thing that you're seeing that just, you know, makes you feel a little crazy? I think it's, you know, we are stronger together, women Mm -hmm. helping women. And it is we can't do it alone. I am a big believer that you can't have it all at the same time. Yes. (laughs) That you can't do it all yourself. Clicking into that vulnerability Um, And setting ego aside to know that there are people who can do things better than you Mm. on your team, but that does not mean they can replace you. Mm. So treating, again, going back to respect, treating each other with respect, treating women with respect, helping other women. When I see another woman doing something amazing, she's an inspiration. She's not a threat. Mm. She's someone I want to offer help, more help to. Like, how can we help you? continue to be that amazing. What can we do? What can this community of women do to help each other continue to be inspired and supported and guided? And so again, going back to negotiation, it's like, share your story. How did you get that bigger salary? There may be some women in your circle when you share that story that you negotiated. And when you share that story about how you did it, what the experience was, how you overcame it, how you stayed strong, that only helps all of us learn more and find our own voice and a way to do it, but with these great 
cues and advice and guidance from people who have done it and had success and also those who have done it and failed, not, you know, share your failures. We all look at the outside and think, wow, that woman has it all. She's done it all. She's so amazing. And then, you know, when you start talking to them one-on-one or in a group setting or hear them speak, we all have our own challenges. We all have been up against many hurdles and building each other up is definitely the way to go. I think it is it Tina Fey who says there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Yeah, I think there's a lot of women who think the sharing of successes and the support of one another as we dust ourselves off and stand up again is so important. Uh, I have a couple questions for you that are um, maybe a little bit more personal as it pertains to business. One of the things that I have really focused on learning more about myself in the last year was a feeling of feeling the need to mute certain parts of myself, specifically as it pertains to business. Uh, You know, I'm a working mom, and I feel like the standard, at least within the community that I live in is you can be a working mom, but really the only part of you that we want to hear about is the mom stuff. Uh, Really the only part of you that matters is how well you are doing this one area. The business stuff doesn't matter. If we go to a party or a family dinner, what they want to hear about is all of my husband's business success and then, you know, what play dates I took my kids on. So I have really learned in the last year that on some level I have been muting this part of myself and how unfair that is to who I am. And I wondered if this is something that other women, you know, as you go through life, there were parts of yourself that you felt you had to mute in order to fit into the mold of who people wanted you to be. Wow. I'm sorry about that party you had to go to. (laughs) First of all, what a drive. It's it's an interesting question, and I think, you know, I have no children. Nothing about that looks good to me, being a a mom and a working mom. So I applaud all the women and families that are doing it and figuring out the way to do it in this very fast-paced society that we live in. I can certainly speak to the fact that, you know, for myself and and mostly for a lot of the women that I mentor who are moms, um, some of them planning families, newly married planning families, have grown children, all of them, all of us struggle with a balance and where to lay priorities and what I think as we, at least it's my experience and what I see is that the older we get, the less muted we are because there's a confidence in Mm. our strength around whatever area we've been muting. Whenever we're going through something hard, it always affects us in more than one way. In the season that I've been in in my life, going through a difficult time has affected my sleep. I feel like I'm getting insomnia again that I haven't had in several years. And being able to talk that through with my therapist and kind of unpack why that anxiety is showing up at night or why my thoughts are racing or why I can't seem to shut my head off has been super helpful for me. And if you have considered seeing a therapist or talking to a counselor, it has never been easier to meet with someone virtually. If you are not familiar with BetterHelp, 
then I want to make sure that you hear about it from me. BetterHelp has counselors who specialize in everything you can imagine. Depression, stress, anxiety, anger, family conflicts, self-esteem. Anything that you share is confidential, and the service is convenient and affordable. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. And as a listener of my podcast, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash rise. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash rise. It's just one of the things like, you know, in my 40s, it was you know, like, wow, these 40s are great. Like there's just this this wisdom, this confidence, this kind of I don't for me, it was more of a, a coming of age of of being more feminine because I in my career had been wearing the suits, you mm. know, the pants, suits, living in a man's world yes, and behaving more like a man with mm. my button down shirts and my little bow ties and my little this and that. And it was very interesting because that was kind of in the 70s, how we were dressing to climb the corporate ladder was to really dress like men or a feminine version thereof. So I had short hair and I was definitely like body language. And then in my 40, 40s, I was like, I'm letting my hair grow. I'm going to um, start wearing dresses. I even warned friends and family, like, do not worry. I'm not going crazy. I just like I'm inspired to find a part of myself that I have kept closed off. Mm. And particularly because I traveled around the globe and was in all of these often the only female in these meetings um, and going to these business dinners and smoking cigars and drinking scotch and all, you know, the jokes and all the things, just being one of the guys. Mm -hmm. And it was just part of doing business. But there was a part of me that clicked in my 40s. It was like, oh, I'm going to do business. All right. But I'm going <laughs> to do it in a, in a dress. You know, you can change a conversation and feel confident to say in that potential situation where people are asking about your play dates to say, you know what, that's a fun part of my day, but it's not, wasn't the most important part of my day this mm. last week. And what I did last week was blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And if you get glazed over looks, so be it. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's, you've got to find your voice and practice whatever it is that you want to remain less mute about. And it's because you should be proud of it. And you should, if it's what you want to talk about, then that's your, if you're having a conversation at a dinner party, you should be able to talk about anything. Concurrently, what happens with that is you start to weed out people in your life that aren't supporting you, the whole you. Yes. Uh, okay, so this question, and you are fully, you can say like, no, thank you, I don't want to answer that, because this is just something I happen to know from Facebook. Can we talk about the fact that you know how to hip-hop dance? Yes. <laughs> okay, so I am weirdly obsessed. I, I'm not saying this because we're talking like I am genuinely obsessed with people who know how to hip hop dance. And one day years ago, I'm scrolling through my Facebook feed and there you are, which, you know, I would never have anticipated 
Is that something you've always known how to do? Did you decide to go back and learn it? Can you just tell me all the things about that? (laughs) Thank you. Well, I love to dance. I've loved to dance since I was really young. And I used to go out to clubs every night. Like when I worked at Hewlett Packard, I had to be at work at 7 a.m. And I had a 50-minute commute. And I was still out almost every night, like between 9 and 11 at clubs in San Francisco dancing. Almost every night. That's awesome. I was younger. (laughs) But... (laughs) I love to dance. And then I also, in the 90s, started taking like a funk hip hop class early, like 91, um, at a local dance studio. And the instructor was amazing. And when she left and moved away, I took over the class. No. So I taught for about a year. Oh my God. Then I moved and didn't necessarily get back into dancing. Although occasionally, like anywhere there was an opportunity to dance, a wedding or traveling and going out to clubs. And about seven years ago, I was at a networking event and met this woman who was in her early 60s, so older than me. And she said, I said, oh, you know, we really hit it off. And I said, we should go out and, you know, have a glass of wine sometime or talk. And she's like, do you like to dance? I was like, (laughs) I do. And she said, have you ever tried Zumba? Yes. I was like, I have not, but I've heard of it. And so literally the following week, I went to my first Zumba class and have never looked back. But the instructor who taught Zumba, who I'm still following seven years later and go to his studio that he owns now, LA Dance Fit um, on Santa Monica Boulevard, he then, I took a hip hop class from him. And then I was like, what? (laughs) Um, Now, you know, I'm not an advanced dancer, but I love it. So I take cardio hip hop, I do hip hop, I do Zumba. Um, I'll try any kind of, you know, Roomba Caliente. I will try all the fun dance things that they teach at the studio. But the hip hop, they do these teams at the dance studio. And so I was on his hip hop dance team. And that's, I think, the video that you saw. I love that because so many women are constantly going like, how do you find time? How do you find time for yourself? And it makes you want to punch a wall. You make time. <laughs> You do, and the and the dancing is so easy because it burns like a thousand calories in an hour. Yes, you're laughing like I am smiling and laughing the entire time because I'm like I cannot believe I'm having so much fun and I'm burning calories. Yes, and the music is good, so it's interesting. Like I am so up on all the music, all <laughs> hip hop music that's happening and that's coming out. Like because the instructors are younger and they're well, some of them are even older, but an inspiration and they are playing amazing music that's relevant. And then so I know artists, I know all sorts of things that you would never expect me to know. And then also it's just, it's just a great way to blow off steam, have an hour for yourself. And it's only an hour. Yeah. And I tell everyone, like, if you like to dance and you've got a little bit of rhythm, like, cause they're like, Oh, I'm not that good. It's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because you know, there's women in this class that are at UCLA and then there's women who are in their seventies. There's one woman who's in her eighties and she comes to those classes and I'm like, wow, like she's moving differently, but she's <laughs> definitely there and participating <laughs> and she is an inspiration. Yeah. So I, cool. I just think, you know, again, find what you're passionate about and you will find pure joy in that, which only extends to the other parts of your life. Okay. So for the sort of the wrap up of every episode, we wanted to ask the same questions of everyone. These are things that I always want to know. So if you will answer, that would be great. And if you don't want to, you just say skip. Um, okay. What time do you get up in the morning? 5 a.m. Me too. And and what time, what do you do with that time? Are you getting straight ready for work or do you take some time for yes. yourself? Nope, I'm straight up ready for work and then I head into the office between 
like I usually get here a little before seven, anywhere okay. between like 6.45 and 7.30. Okay. What is your coffee order? I don't drink coffee. Actually, I drink tea. So okay. I have, I drink a lot of, I drink water on the way to work. Yes. Um, and then, and I eat a full breakfast. So I, I, I love to eat. So a lot of protein in the morning and water. And then when I get to the office, I have a cup of tea. So PG tips with <laughs> some unsweetened vanilla soy milk. Love um, it. What is your lunchtime routine? That's a good question. Um, I bring my lunch every day. Mm-hmm. So my wife packs my lunch every day, a amazing lunch and snacks. And then I usually sit at my desk and um, it's a great time for me to catch up on emails. Mm-hmm. And also um, if I'm having any of my mentor meetings, I either have them in the early morning when I first get in. So I have people come and either talk to me on the phone or meet with me then, or at lunchtime, I'm like, come to my office and we'll Smart. have, yeah. Cause I love my office. I love my office, I have an ice machine in my office, Ooh. it's painted pink, it's got little fun decorations, it's like a really pretty view out the window. What is your workout of choice? Is it dancing or do you do other things as well? I just dance. Love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book that has been most helpful uh, in your career? You know, it's interesting, I don't really read, obviously, In Search of Excellence it was when I was, I was reading a lot of things when I was in college, like mm. Smart Cookies Don't Crumble, How to Climb the Corporate Ladder in a Skirt, um, mm. In Search of Excellence, there was a lot of things I was looking at, I'm a voracious reader of fiction. <laughs> um, I didn't know that, Diane, we need to go book club together, um, I'm a voracious reader of fiction. I read a lot, now I'm stuck on Outlander. Oh. which I started watching on stars and oh, then now man. I'm like, so my, Oh my gosh, there's more. So I'm like, Oh, you're doing it all. I can't I'm doing all eight. I am books. very passionate about Outlander. It's my favorite book of all time, but I get oh. a little crazy about the follow-up books oh. because I feel like she's just printing money. I don't feel like she's taking care of her characters the way she should. This is where I go super nerdy. Oh. Um, but the first book is the greatest book ever written in my personal opinion. I would say in terms of professional books, I read recently um, Kim Gold uh, wrote a book called, I want to say it's True Gold. I should look it up to tell you exactly, but I read it in a day. What I love about this book so much is that it's so honest and Mm. raw about being a woman in business and all the work that she did and how she got shut out of that company um, and how she kept rebuild, like how she built companies along the way till she got to True Religion Jeans. It is phenomenal. Oh, I, I so, can't wait to pick that up. Yeah. Oh, here's what it is. It's called Gold Standard. Gold Standard. Okay. How to Rock the World and Run an Empire. Woo! Love it. Uh, do you have favorite podcasts? Are you a podcast listener? I am not. Oh, well, golly, I'm I very, need to send you a list. I'm, <laughs> I'm an, an un, I'm not a technical person. So, so you're I saying your favorite just, podcast is this podcast is what you're saying. <laughs> I think it's going to be my first and favorite. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. You have traveled so much in your career. Is there a travel must, something you've got to have when you head out on the road? For me, it's it's mostly it's the the basics. So the wardrobe is really well coordinated and mm. works well lots of layers. Really my go-to then is a scarf. Like I wear scarves almost every day. So I think a nice scarf that's pretty big that you can wear as a shawl or you can have on the airplane as a wrap or, oh, and here's the one other thing I would say, this is a must if I think about it, is my, um, it's called No Jet Lag and it is a um, homeopathic remedy. It goes under the tongue, sublingual. When I was a kid, when we traveled to New Zealand, we used it 
Um, and you take one upon takeoff and then one every hour uh, or one every two hours, a tablet under your tongue. And it's got Arnica and some other things. And I swear by it. I, wow. I have no jet lag ever. I just came back from Hong Kong. I got home Tuesday night at a, like, you know, in bed by 11 o'clock after a 13 hour flight. And I was up yesterday morning at my normal time and in the office early and I have not had any jet lag. Oh my gosh. I feel like you just told a magic potion. And my other top tip is to, so what I do is if I'm going to Hong Kong, I'm ensuring wherever or whatever country I'm going to that I'm landing in the late afternoon, early evening. Mm. And then when I get on the plane, I make sure I stay up the whole time. And, um, And then when you get to your destination, you're so exhausted get into your hotel room, unpack, take a bath, and then I'm down for the night, and then I get up the next morning as usual, and then I'm good to go. So that's, awesome. that's my travel tip. It works. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> those are those are all the questions. That's all I've got. Nice. I know. I There is a wealth of information here, and I am so grateful for your, as always, I am so grateful for your time. You're so always so generous in the history of us knowing each other, even when you have barely known me and I have reached out for business advice. You've always been so gracious. And I know that a lot of women who are listening to this are really going to learn so much and feel more confident as they move in their careers because of your time. So I'm really grateful for it. Hey guys, if you like this episode, I hope you will consider subscribing to the Deus podcast on iTunes, sharing it with your friends and showing some love on social media for a newbie show like mine. Those reviews are everything. Thanks to our producer, Allison Cohen, our sound engineer, Jack Noble, and our sound editor, Andrew Weller. To stay in touch with all things Deus, you can check out thechicsite.com or follow me on social media. I am Ms. Rachel Hollis on every single platform. Most importantly, I hope you heard something today that inspires you. I'll see you next week. So this week, I announced my next book. It's called Didn't See That Coming. It's all about how you put your life back together after your world falls apart. I actually wrote this inside of quarantine because I wanted something that y'all could read as you transition out of the crisis of a pandemic. And then inside of writing it, my world fell apart. And this is a story of how you keep on going. This is a story of the tactics and the tools that I have used time and time again when I have gone through grief or loss or trauma. The book comes out on September 29th and you can find it today. You can pre-order wherever books are sold. And yes, I am narrating the audio as always. But if you pre-order, meaning if you buy it any time before September 29th. If you go to didn't see that coming new you can get my one hour course on how to rebuild. How do you rebuild your life? Free one hour course plus a workbook that you can print out and utilize to start the process. It's something that I thought I could give you to be helpful as you transition to whatever comes next. Didn't See That Coming is my new book, and I hope that you will check it out.